Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight for Ask Pastor Don. If you do have a question, send it to apd at cdview.org. We'll get to as many of them as we can. Just one question tonight, because I think uh, it takes a while to unpack it. Here's what the questioner sent in. I've been told so many things about the early chapters of Genesis, and I'm starting to wonder if Adam and Eve were real people or just mythological characters used to make religious points more easily understood. Do you think there was an actual physically created couple? And does it matter if they were or weren't real people? What do you think, Pastor Don? Well, it's a good question. Let me start the process of answering this where I think it needs to begin. I'm not sure all of this is in the uh, questioner's mind, but there is, I think, a tendency to make the issue smaller than it really is. So, so we're not just considering how the writer of Genesis chose to make his points about God, using either factual data of a physically created couple or just religious myths, so that either way, certain truths about God and sin and this world would, would come to our attention. And after all, isn't that the main thing? Well, the one thing we know for sure is that we're here. Mankind has arrived. He got here somehow. Uh, the view that's dominated lately is that he evolved over millions or perhaps billions of years of evolutionary process. He's reached his present level, and he might not even be finished yet. And the Bible, of course, pictures the process very differently. Um, however you interpret the genealogies in the text, you will get a much shorter history of mankind on earth, for sure. And though scholars quibble about it, you end up with thousands rather than billions of years, and you end up with a directly creating act of God as you read the Genesis accounts. Now, this is precisely where the issue comes to a head. How are we going to read these creation accounts of Adam and Eve? I mean, no one denies the accounts are there in the book of Genesis. The arguments all center on how are we going to interpret them? So my quick answer to the question is yes, I'm firmly persuaded that Adam and Eve are presented as specific, literally created physical individuals. My answer to the second part of the question, where he says, does it matter? My answer to that part of the question is, I think it matters greatly whether or not they're understood as specifically, literally, physically created individuals but I don't suppose that's a very satisfactory uh, answer. As it was asked. What I need to explain is why I'm convinced Adam and Eve are specific, literally, physically created people and why it matters so greatly that we understand them. So those are the two parts of this answer. 
First, point number one, I'm convinced Adam and Eve are two specifically created people because I think that's the only way the Bible will allow you to view them. You see, like every, or virtually every, debated theological issue, they all come back to the same roots. Almost every debated issue becomes a Bible issue somewhere along the way. How are the Scriptures going to be treated? How are the Scriptures going to be interpreted? How do they speak? More specifically, shall I begin with the lenses, you know, moral, scientific, theological, the lenses of the culture, and interpret the text so that it fits in more easily and perhaps is viewed more relevantly, is that how I'm going to do it? Because that that just gets done all the time with scores of moral issues. Or, shall I read the biblical text in a way that is as countercultural today as it was when the New Testament was written for its own culture? Which parts of the Bible can I read unfiltered? Love one another, that's good. Forgive your enemies, no problem. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God is love. Not many argue about those. And which parts need a different approach? Except that, except you believe that I am he, Jesus says, you'll die in your sins. For no one comes to the Father but by me. As I read the text regarding Adam and Eve... Here's what I see. A. When Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't just trace him back to Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, or Abraham, or Jacob. He traces Christ back to Adam. That's in Luke 3.38. Now, don't Don't just rush over that too quickly. Luke's point stands. Every other name in that boring list, and it is boring reading, but every other name is meant to be seen as a literal person. None seriously believes Adam, I mean Abraham, was a fictitious or a mythological idea. We have the name of his father, We know his calling, his history, the country of his birth. The same is true of Mary, Joseph. The same is true of Jacob and Esau. So at which point in Luke's list of genealogies, at which point do you want to inject a fictional character? And if you do, how does the genetic link proceed? I mean, Dr. Luke, I'm sure would not want to take the time to explain to us that myths carry no sperm. They can't father children. And a literal Adam is needed if Luke's genealogy is going to make any sense. All the names in that genealogy are treated as real human beings. B. When the prophet Hosea seeks to describe the unfaithfulness of Israel... He picks the unfaithfulness of Adam as an example. That's in Hosea 6, 4 through 7. The prophet Hosea says, the Lord speaks through Hosea, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? 
What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than just burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So again, there's a logical link here that's pretty hard to break. The sins of Israel were committed by real people. And Hosea, the prophet, inspired by the Spirit of God, proclaiming God's word, Hosea was a real person, a real prophet. And he clearly sees an actual unfaithfulness rooted in an actual person when he cites the covenant disobedience of Adam. So in other words, Hosea equates the unfaithfulness of Israel with the unfaithfulness of Adam. If there's no actual act of unfaithfulness in Adam, then Hosea's words to Israel make no sense. The answer to the question, how did Israel transgress, is like Adam, they transgressed. Verse 7. So the point here is the burden of proof lies with the person who doesn't want to treat these two examples of covenant unfaithfulness alike. The text makes no distinction. The one is compared to the other. C, Jude links Adam with Enoch, describing Enoch as the seventh from Adam in genealogy. It's a convoluted text. I don't know if you've studied it, but it's Jude, verses 10 through 15. Let me, I'll try and read the whole thing. But these people, godless people, blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. Now start looking at the people here. They walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error perished in Korah's rebellion. They are hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea. What a description. Casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. There's that hell. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. Okay, we, But the, the point there, the genealogical issue, it just comes to the forefront. Mythological creatures don't have sex and produce physical babies. People do. And so interestingly, this chapter mentions many biblical characters. We didn't study them all. Moses, Cain, Balaam, the sons of Korah, and Adam is right in that crowd. He is of the 
same kind of humanity. You can trace seven genealogies from Adam. So yeah, I'm convinced that Adam and Eve were literal, physically created persons. I just can't imagine any way you can make the Bible say anything else. But that's only one part of the question. I want to quickly go over uh, the second part. I'm convinced Adam and Eve were specifically created people because the Bible places their reality at the center of my need for redemption. So there are theological implications. That's what I'm saying. Adam and Eve are not merely speculative entities. They form the base of all meaningful discussion about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Again, I'm I'm sorry to labor you with lengthier texts, but if you look at Romans 5, I just want to show you how this fits into the New Testament. I'll pick some verses here just to try and go over it quickly. Romans 5, 12 to 16. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Adam was before Moses. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So Adam, Moses are treated as alikes, physical people. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So Adam pictures someone else. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. Now, 18. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's an important point. As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be righteous. So this is really striking. I know there's a lot in there, and it's pretty densely theological in places. But his point is, our relationship to Jesus as our Savior and Lord is predicated, necessitated by our fallen relationship to our earthly parenthood through Adam. So the second, Christ, is only necessary because of the first, Adam. Adam is why you need Jesus. Take away Adam, and there's no longer any need for Jesus. We are tied to the real Christ because we were first tied to the real Adam. And so we're met here to, in this New Testament text, to contemplate the scope of the Genesis account of Adam and Eve. The rest of the Bible... The rest of the Bible stands as an unfolding of this first couple's actions. Make Adam a myth. You might just be doing the same thing to Jesus Christ. Okay, three. 
I'm convinced of the reality of specifically created Adam and Eve because that alone explains the universal necessity of the gospel. Let me try and explain what I see in Paul's words, some of them we just looked at. 5.12 of Romans, where he says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, try and follow these words. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. How do we know that people in other parts of the world, people in totally different cultures with different languages, who have only known other religions, never known Christianity, and are devoted to their own religion. How do we know they need Christ? That's not a little question. It's a huge question. A lot of people are saying they don't. They can just be faithful in their religion, and God accepts that. The point we just read, Christ is needed by everyone on earth because Adam's sin affects everybody on earth. So I know Christ is needed by everyone in every culture and in every religion because they are all factually related to Adam. That's what makes the need for the gospel universal. They have all shared in the fall of Adam's sin. This is what gives the church confidence that there never has been and there never will be anyone not needing to be justified through Jesus Christ. We can be confident of that. Lastly, again, the theological implications. For I'm convinced of the reality of a specifically created Adam because the historic actions of Eve and Adam anchor my hope of resurrection from the grave through Jesus Christ. Did you know that your resurrection from the dead one day has a lot to do not just with Jesus and his resurrection like we celebrate on Easter? Did you know it has an awful lot to do with a real Adam? It does, and the Bible says so. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 22, Paul writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Now listen, here it is. For as by a man came death, who's that? Well, it's Adam. As by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, now he identifies him, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I hope you see what Paul's doing in these verses. It's, it's really big. It's an argument based on history. It's an argument rooted in something that happened in the creation account. And here's the argument. Death had a beginning point. We can't imagine that now because we live on the post side 
of the entrance of death into this world. We can't even picture a world without death. Death is just the natural order of things since the fall. But Paul's point is really striking. He says, by a man came death. Death had an entry point, a beginning point. But Paul's not done. Just as death had its actual entry point into our experience through a specific man, Adam, my presently invisible, still in the future, resurrection from the realm of death also came through a specific man, Jesus Christ. So both Adam and Christ bring something about. The effect of each is tied together. The work of Christ is necessary and made relevant because of the destructive work of Adam that brought death into this world. So, that was a little bit involved, but to our questioner, it was a great question. I would offer more than my opinion. The Bible insists on a real Eve and a real Adam, and the whole message of the Bible will become trivial and empty without them. So to remove their historic significance, it undoes more than you could ever imagine. Keep sending in your questions. Love to study them together. APD at cw.org. God bless the church. Love one another.